So this, this is going to be, God willing, the second to last 1 Corinthians sermon. And here it goes. I'm going to read the text, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to the end of chapter 15, not to the end of the book. That's next week. Starting in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sowed is dishonor, what is raised is glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the man, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal body puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. So this morning, I, I'm not, I don't have uh, this sermon numbered 
in different points, like point one, point two. We're just going to kind of work our way through the text. Kind of, so I was saying that just so you won't be waiting for the number or think that you missed the number, since I often say numbers. But uh, it's a, a rather large portion of text. And let me summarize the essence of this message. Here it is in summary. But don't leave after I just say the summary, even though you'll be getting the, the essence of it. In summary, here it is. We have physical bodies. They are not meant to last forever. M unless we are here uh, at the time of Christ's return, we physically will die. And our physical bodies will eventually, and God's timing will look at that, be reunited with our spirits, and we'll be with the Lord forever. And knowing that these physical bodies are not all we have and that we're going to be with the Lord in heaven and we're going to live with him for eternity, that ought to spur us on to live better lives now for the glory of God. In a nutshell, now for the actual sermon. <laughs> if we go back to the beginning of chapter 15, Paul's been teaching the Corinthians about the resurrection. He most specifically began by teaching about the resurrection of Christ and, and the importance of the resurrection of Christ. And then he went on to talking about the resurrection of Christ and why that is essential for all of Christianity. And that's what we looked at last week. All of Christianity hinges upon the resurrection. But before we relook at that, let's rewind a little bit to the very beginning of chapter 15, just to kind of get the big resurrection picture before we look at the resurrection of our physical bodies. Remember at the beginning of 15, he talks, Paul writes about the gospel. In verse 1, Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. The gospel is good news. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then Paul goes on to describe the gospel. And we looked a couple of weeks ago about how simple the gospel is. If you're ever, ever wondering, how can I tell other people about Jesus? How can I tell other people the gospel? What does that look like? How, how, I, I don't know if I'm an eloquent enough person. I don't know if I'm a good enough theologian. I don't know if I can describe it well enough. Say, here's a simple way to describe it. You might use different words, of course. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Three things. That Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised. There's the simplicity of the gospel. And you, by the Holy Spirit's guidance, of course, you can tailor that to whoever you're talking to. And we need to tailor it differently to different people. Uh, you, would, you would say that to somebody who's a religious person who does not know Jesus differently than you would somebody who's been living out on the fringes uh, of society in an in a overtly sinful lifestyle and has never stepped foot on in the church. But either way, 
the message doesn't change. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised. You could also say he's coming again. And, and here's a different way. Uh, I heard, I listened to a sermon, not even in preparation for this sermon, but sometimes God gives us freebies. And he does that often, I think, by his grace. And here it is. This was what Pastor Dave Denis of United Baptist Church of Concord, New Hampshire. I actually know who that is. It was, I didn't just randomly click on a church and, and that <laughs> website and listen to that. But he put it this way, and he was actually um, preaching on Acts chapter 2. So if you want to look this up in your own time later and study it for, for a way to witness to people, Peter was preaching to people. And these specifically were some of the people who were there when Jesus was crucified. And, and he summarized it in, in these five points. So I guess there are numbers in this sermon. God sent Jesus. You killed him. God raised him. We saw it. Your move. God sent Jesus. You killed him. Of course, the you killed him part is very true for all of us. Peter was speaking very literally to the people there. Some of them were, were actually there at his crucifixion. We know spiritually that's true for all of us with our sin. Of course, that part, you'll really want to tailor that part depending on who you're talking to. But the Holy Spirit can help you with that. God sent Jesus. You killed him. God raised him. We saw it a couple weeks ago. We talked about how the resurrection is something that we can hold to as truth. It's not just something that we know within our hearts, although that's very important too and necessary for salvation. But it's something, while people didn't actually see Jesus, um, they didn't actually see the stone rolling away, at the end of the day, or the third day I should say, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And there were over 500 witnesses to the, that fact, when, to, to Jesus' appearance afterward, that is. That's the we saw it part. You don't want to say the we saw it part. We weren't alive back then. But they saw it. They saw it. Your move. Hmm. That's a good part. That challenges me. Does that challenge you? Your move. That's an important part of it. Sometimes I like to just share the gospel, then run. And the fact of your move makes it, uh, that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road. Because just hearing the gospel and doing nothing with it doesn't save anybody, right? They have to, as I remember Pastor George said in his Easter sermon of two years ago, or his Easter sermonette on the end of my Easter sermon, I think, in Rockport, the gospel has to be appropriated. The blood has to be appropriated. Just like the blood on the doors in Exodus, it had, it had, they, they couldn't just believe in the Lord as opposed to the Egyptians believing in the false gods. They actually had to apply the blood to their doors. So we also have to apply the blood of the Lord, and that is simply consciously, knowingly, confessing with our mouths that Christ is Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. But that's where the your move part comes in. And I want to encourage everybody to say, maybe in not so many words, your move to people when you share the gospel with them. Because otherwise, sometimes what it comes down to is, oh, thank you for sharing. That was nice. 
and, and then it kind of ends there. Sometimes, under the Holy Spirit's direction, it might be time to just have a conversation and not say your move very overtly right there. But pray about how, how, you, can, how, how you can insert that part to, to show people who you're reaching out to that it does take the personal decision. It's not just historically acknowledging, yes, technically this happened. As James said, even the demons believe in God and shudder. The your move part doesn't have to happen right then. It's great if it does, and it's good to give them the opportunity right then, but it doesn't always happen right then. Sometimes we're not always the final link on the evangelism chain. Sometimes we're the first link. Sometimes we're the 382nd link out of 4,862. And appreciate, just, just be thankful for wherever God puts you in that link. It might not seem as glorious to, to um, believe that you're a link on the chain instead of the person who, who leads someone to Christ, but you're still leading someone to Christ if they eventually get there. You're still, you're still partaking in that. You're just a link on the chain. I, I've been a link on the chain a lot more times than I've been the final, final, um, final link. I've been in the middle, I guess I should say, a lot more times than I've been on the end. And they're all equally important because it's ultimately God who does it. So there's the gospel. And that's entirely important for our salvation. It's entirely important for all of Christianity. And we looked at this last week in that if it weren't for the death and the resurrection of Christ, and why the resurrection is so important to all of Christianity is because sin kills everybody. Sin kills everybody. It killed Jesus, but the difference of Jesus is he then rose, being victorious over sin and death. Jesus won the victory on the cross, and now we, we await his glorious return when he will eventually abolish sin and death. But that time's not yet. Still, we still live in this, in this um, pre-new heaven and new earth world. I guess that would make it the current heaven and earth world. The essential of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, the resurrection and how all Christianity hinges upon it. And now we get to the text that Paul wrote for this passage, and it talks about the human body. He goes on to talk about the resurrection of the human body. So again, he starts in verse 35 by writing, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Some have said that Paul is addressing maybe not a serious question, but a challenge to him the way he's saying that, you foolish person. And foolish, when we read it in scripture, usually indicates sinful, not silly. We might say foolish like a clown riding a unicycle or something like that. But, but um, it, it looks like he's scolding someone. But either way, whether he's rebuking a challenge or whether he's answering a serious question, he goes on to address the issue of the bodily resurrection. And, and Paul uses analogies of, of nature in, verse, in the following verses up through 41 to describe how there are different 
different bodies. He uses nature to point this out. And he eventually brings us to the point that our physical body that we have now is not the same body that we're going to have in eternity. That's where he's going with this. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body that as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Just as in the first century, there apparently was some confusion about the body as it pertains to resurrection, there is today, too. Some confusion at the time. While some people will suggest that basically all religions and faiths had this idea of resurrection and Christianity just parroted what other faiths were doing at the time, the, the idea of resurrection wasn't really that prominent at their time. It was something different. The, other people believed in an afterlife, but the idea of the body actually resurrecting was something more unique to Christianity. And on that note, be careful what you listen to on the internet. I think I said this two weeks ago, but I'm saying it for a different reason now. And this time, I'm saying don't be intimidated by what you hear on the internet. There are a lot of people out there who, will, who enjoy dropping these like pseudo-intellectual bombs that are supposed to destroy someone else's worldview in one explosion. But reality is, it's some, it's some cuckoo who's like, you know, living in his mom's basement and he's trying to sound like he has a PhD. He doesn't even have a PHQ. And, and it's, the reality is, it's the internet, it's so approachable to anybody who wants to upload things. And um, the fact is, anybody who know, knows the basics of technology can put something together and make it look like it's some scholarly thing that's out there. And they'll say these statements like it's true. I watched, there was this video one of my friends recommended. I, I won't mention what it was, but there was this video that one of my friends recommended to me. And he said, this is why I don't believe in Christianity. And, and the basic teaching of it was all, all religions have this idea of the resurrection and Christianity just copied it. And, and it showed this, and the narrator's voice sounded like a voice of a smart person. And it, it was a, a pretty well done video. But the reality is, anybody who has some time on their hands and is familiar with technology could have put that together. And I don't think I really saw any credentials of where that came from. So I just put that out there. Don't, don't let the enemy, there, there's so much out there that's meant to disprove Christianity. And if you can say this in humility, don't say it in a haughty way, because I don't think God will really use that. But, but if you can say this with humility, a good thing to say to someone, if they ever um, 
whether it's a good, good thing to think about when if you see something on the internet that supposedly disproves Christianity, and it's a good thing to say to someone if they bring up to you all the contradictions in the Bible, a good question to ask is, which ones? How many of them? Usually the, state, the given statement is, the Bible's full of contradictions. Usually the people who say that have not actually read the Bible. I used to believe that, and that's how I excuse sin in my life. Well, it's a good book, you know, I generally believe in it, but you know, it's old and it has a lot of contradictions. I, I, I had never read it. I couldn't have named one if you asked me. And the reality is most people who claim the Bible is full of contradictions have not read the Bible. So it, it's, and it's, it's okay to put them on the spot a little. And, and could, you, could you name like, okay, well, there, there are so many, I don't know where to start. Okay, I'll be satisfied with five. Well, I can't think of five off the top of my head. Okay, I, I'm good with just one. Let me get back to you. Okay, meet you here tomorrow. All that to say, there was, con there was some confusion. There was the idea of the resurrection was not just a readily accepted idea back then. Also, uh, in the Old, Old Testament times, and we, I think we looked at this a while ago, but in the Old Testament times, the, idea, the whole idea of the afterlife that we see in the Old Testament, it's there. As the, the idea of heaven and hell, they're there, but they're not as clearly defined by a long shot as they are in the New Testament. So maybe that's another reason why Paul needed to teach about the bodily resurrection. Likewise, today, there's some confusion about the resurrection. Uh, there's some confusion about what happens after, after we die. And, and we live in a world that's very focused on the human body as well. But we'll get to that in a minute. What confusion do we have today about the resurrection? Or, well, here are some thoughts. Um, there's the idea of soul sleep when we die. Do we, do we go into a uh, spiritually dormant state? Or, or do we immediately go into the presence of the Lord? And the one little disclaimer I have about this is, if a Christian believes in soul sleep, it doesn't make them, I don't think that makes them a false teacher. I'm not going to put that label on them. I think they're misguided in that area, but I think they can believe in that and still be good on the rest of their theology. I don't believe in soul sleep. I don't think it's, I don't think it's accurate. Uh, with, and there are several scriptures that we could go to. We'll go to one today in a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I mean right now. So, if you please, you can go to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to look at, briefly, at Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Here's some scripture that you might be familiar with. And by the way, where does the idea of soul sleep come from? It mainly comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, probably. I, I think that's talking about the rapture, specifically. Um, but some people believe that that talks about soul sleep. And if you don't know what that term means, that in a nutshell, that means that people basically, when Christians die, they go into an unconscious state until the rapture or until the return of Christ, and, and then they go to heaven. So they, in essence, uh, are unaware of what happens from the time they die until that time. But here are a couple things to consider, and we won't tarry on this too long, but it's a good thing to address. And I'll mention, mention why it's worth addressing uh, shortly. Luke 16, starting in verse 19, 
Jesus tells a story. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked the sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Huh. Keep in mind, this is before the resurrection of Jesus. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And saw Lazarus sleeping in his bed at his side, right? Does it say that? Nay. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember what you in your lifetime received, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. He is comforted. That doesn't, I mean, I guess sleeping is comfortable, but I don't really think that's what it's saying. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. And then he goes on to say, listen to the prophets, listen to the prophets. And... And we will leave that text there for now. But there's, it, it appears that there is a conscious state. So here's, just, here's a point of what happens to the human body. We'll visit this again as we look at what happens now. Remember, this is before Jesus was raised. Before the resurrection of Jesus, there's, there's this idea of, of there's apparently this gulf that separates Hades, where those who reject the Lord go, and those who trust in the Lord are in this place called Abraham's bosom. And we don't know a whole lot about that. We don't have a whole lot about that. But it appears to be, as it were, a, a, um, a pre-heaven-as-we-know-it-now kind of place that is a good place, Abraham's bosom, that people went, such as Lazarus. Jesus also said, to the thief on the cross, one of the thieves, the one who said, Lord, remember me, when you enter paradise, remember me, Jesus said, when will you be with me in paradise? Today, right? And I don't think that's some strange poetic metaphorical way of saying when I return and 2,000 plus years later, I think today probably meant today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not a, not a doctrine worth dying for. Don't, don't abstain from eating your hamburger with Uncle Phil at your family reunion who believes in soul sleep. It's, uh, people can still love Jesus and live for Jesus by believing that. But I think it's good to understand it because it's, it's scriptural. And it has, I think, more, pleasant, more, more present blessings to us now, believing in the idea that when... You're, if you have a departed loved one who knew the Lord, to, to think that that person is actually enjoying life 
quite frankly, more than any of us are right now by a thousand. And, and, it, it, and it is, it's something true that we can comfort ourselves with, knowing that they're basking in the presence of Jesus. Also, if when any of us get to that point, isn't it, isn't it great to spur us on to look forward to thinking like if you had five days to live, isn't it great to think, and wow, in five days, I'll be with Jesus. Also, if persecution arose to the point where our lives were threatened, there is that idea of immediately being in the presence of Jesus that can strengthen us at that time. That can be difficult for us to think of in the comfortable lives that we live, but we know many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world, that's a, that's a very real thing for them, isn't it? At the end of the day, even if soul sleep were true, they'd still wake up and feel like they're in Jesus' presence immediately. So it's, it would be a win-win situation. I just think there's more winning with this. There is the idea of soul sleep, purgatory. There's, you'd be, I, I'm surprised sometimes about people who, um, I mean, I, I would usually just relegate that to a teaching of the Catholic Church and, and think no more of it, but in talking with a coworker not too long ago, he, he was asking me if I, if I believed in this, and, and he knew I wasn't Catholic, but there's, it's that idea out there. And I think what that is, is um, a misunderstanding of 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. For the in interest of time, we won't go there, but it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. Reincarnation. I, I think I, I've actually encountered some Christians who kind of are semi-tolerant, at the very least, to that idea. Like, maybe this is how God works. No, that's not how God works at all. But in the area where we live, in so much Eastern spirituality around us, so much mysticism, so many strange ideas, the resurrection could be a wonderful point of conversation. And it could be something that we have to teach people with as they, as they come to Christ. And then there's the idea, do we become angels when we die? Nope. Moving on. <laughs> we pick up in verse 42. Cute idea, but no, that, that, no, that's not what happens. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. There is so much focus on the human body, isn't there? So much focus on the human body. And there's, there's some truth to the beauty of it in that when we look in Genesis, as the Lord created different things, one, he said, said it is good. And then when he created humans, he said it is very good. It's the Lord's creation, but there is also a false worship of the human body. And we see it all around us in society. Some of these things that I'll mention aren't necessarily bad things. This isn't a blanket condemnation. Some of it's examples. I, I, I was, as I was, I was thinking about this, I was, as, as I was in the mall last night walking around, and I thought, I wonder how many stores in here specifically relate to the human body. And I counted the food court as specifically relating because it's, it's what you eat. And I did a rough estimate. And I know the Liberty Tree Mall isn't the Mall of America, and, and there are many vacant spaces. But nevertheless, there, I, 
I estimated that about five stores in there were not specifically related to the human body. How you look, um, most of it's how you look. Uh, some of it, there, there was a, a gym, a gym in there, and um, general nutrition center, all, all these different vitamins and things like that, and, and some of that can be good stuff, of course. But the point is, and by the way, when I say there are about five not specifically related to the human body, one was the pet store. One was the arcade, and then there were two or three more. So you get the idea, and, and the security office might even count as one of those. So you get the idea that there's a great focus on the human body. There's a great focus on the desire to look young. If you look through, the, there's so much a desire to look young. And, and that's not a blanket condemnation of that, but there's the reality of as we age, most of us don't consider that a favorable thing. I actually think it's kind of neat when I see a gray hair in my hair, but maybe I'll get over that. Maybe that's, I guess the excitement probably wears off after a while. But I did actually, about a year and a half ago, I had a job interview, and um, this is back in New Hampshire. About a year and a half ago, I had a job interview, and. Um, and the fellow who interviewed me, interestingly enough, was someone who I went to high school with. Who knew? And as he was walking, he was walking in front of me, and I noticed, behold, the back of his head is balding. And it's like, whoa. Anthony, what happened? <laughs> life happened. That's life. That is, that is life indeed. And and so we journey in the direction that Paul is going here. We see selfies are a major thing, aren't they? They're all over the place. They're all over the place. Uh, and I won't, I won't rabbit trail on that, lest I never come back. <laughs> at the end of the day, though, or at the end of our days, here's the point. Our bodies are created by the Lord. They're temples to the Lord. But you know what? We're going to get new ones. We are going to get new ones. And that's what Paul is saying. And where we're going with this whole thought is we're going to get new bodies and we're going to be with the Lord forever with our new bodies. And that idea should spur us on in this life. It should give us perspective. Paul picks up in verse 42 when he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, uh, it is sown in dishonor and is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. So just as Adam was a natural man, he, Adam did not fulfill the will of God. Adam, Adam messed up. And we have, as we looked at last week, we have inherited Adam's sin. That's, that's the, the sinful condition of man that we are all born with. Or that's the doctrine of original sin that's passed on to us. So Adam, Adam, did not, Adam was not the perfect man. But thankfully, God sent Jesus, going back to the gospel, God sent Jesus to perfectly fulfill his will. Jesus was the second man. 
And likewise, we are all born natural men and women. And then the spiritual comes when we turn to Christ and are born again. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall also, so we shall also, that is, bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul goes on in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Again, a mystery is something that was not clearly made known before, but from this point on is clearly being made known. And here's an example of a mystery. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep is a more gentle way of saying die. We shall not all sleep or we shall not all die, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We're going to pause there for a second. And this is where, this is, most believe this is probably talking about the rapture here. And here is some scripture uh, that correlates with that. This is from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Again, asleep does not mean physically sleeping. It means, it means physically deceased. But those who are asleep or those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, there we hear the trumpet again, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that is meant to be encouraging indeed. And here's, and here's the idea in summary of what happens with us upon our physical death. Our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And so we, we immediately experience the presence of the Lord while our body stays in the grave. So... My understanding of this absolutely is our brothers and sisters who have gone before us, um, who have gone before us, are with the Lord now, spiritually, in their spirits, consciously. And then at this time that Scripture is speaking of, this is when the body is reunited with the spirit. 
the body is reunited with the spirit. And we see this example, we see this example of how that's going to be with Jesus. When Jesus, when Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, he appeared and he, and he appeared to disciples. As we were looking earlier in this chapter, he appeared to over 500 people. And at first, when he appeared to his disciples, he was walking with them and they didn't recognize him. Scripture says, due to astonishment and joy. Due to astonishment and joy. It didn't say that they didn't recognize him because he was marred beyond human recognition. But we know that's what did happen to him at the cross, right? He was marred beyond recognition. So he, although he still had the, the scars on his hands, or his wrists rather, he, he was still clearly, they didn't, they didn't see a man covered in, in blood and, and physical destruction. They, they saw probably someone who, who looked relatively like, like, like a human. Like, and, and they didn't recognize him because it was, it was too good to be true, it seemed, until, until he enabled them, until the Lord enabled them to recognize him. So Jesus had, it was still, note it was still, he, he had a physical body. And if, you're, if you remember in the scripture, he actually ate some broiled fish for breakfast. So this is in his, in his resurrected state, he ate some fish. So he was not just a spirit. Spirits don't eat fish. And, uh, and that's all I'll say about that. If, if you learn nothing else today, take that with you. But I hope you learn much else. The, he was in his resurrected state and he ate some broiled fish. So again, our loved ones in, in spirit form are with the Lord consciously now. But at this time, there will be the resurrection of their bodies which will happen first, apparently immediately before we are resurrected in that state, assuming the Lord comes, for example, today, while we are all here. And, and there will be that time of the reunion of the physical bodies with the Lord. And that's what, what's so wonderful about that. It's that we, have, we will have glorified bodies. We will have glorified bodies. So... Does that mean that we will recognize each other in heaven? I think it does. I think it does. I can't, I'm not going to put the official Bible stamp on this because there's some mystery to this. And that's something that we can look forward to is seeing that mystery. But, but when, um, when, we, when Jesus' disciples saw him, they did eventually recognize him. And I don't think he looked like an entirely different person. But there will, I think we will. But you know what? Even if we don't, it's, it's still going to be more wonderful than we can imagine. But I think we will. Glorified bodies. Bodies that are not subject to the illnesses we have. And, and some of you know how wonderful or can imagine how wonderful that will be more than I can. But even I have a little bit of an eye problem right now. And, and just little things even remind me, oh, wow, how wonderful that will be to be in a glorified body, but it gets better. In our glorified bodies, we will not be in the flesh in the same way that we are today. While the old self was crucified with Christ and the new self was raised in the, in the likeness of Christ's resurrection, we still have the flesh. And sometimes we can give into the flesh more than the spirit. Won't that be wonderful when we don't do that anymore? Won't that be wonderful to just have the unhindered, 
focus on Jesus and, and, and it won't be distracted by the sins that we go to, whether they be our pet sins that we return to again and again, or a random infrequent sin, or, or some sin you didn't see coming and, and it was brought on, so we'd like to believe, by our circumstances that we didn't see coming, still our fault. How great that will be, that we can worship Jesus in such an unhindered way. Now just imagine something like, imagine a time when you're just really focused on the Lord. We all have those times when we're just really focused on the Lord. Maybe it's in church, maybe it's at a, a special worship event, or maybe it's just on a day when you're just really walking in the Spirit. And, and you're just focused on the Lord. The, the, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, the things of this world just aren't heavy on your mind. And you're just really in the Spirit and how great it is. Just imagine that going on forever. It'll be great. It'll be great. And this is how, what can cheer us on, what can spur us on. Picking up in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In Hebrews 2, 14 to 17, we see Jesus, the second Adam, defeating death. And he does it in a very ironic way. And this is the habit that the Lord has of doing things. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That is, Jesus clothed, clothed himself in, in human flesh, not sinful flesh, but human flesh like you and me during his incarnation. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Think about that statement alone right there for a minute. Through death, he might destroy the one who has power over, power of death. Isn't that interesting how the Lord works? How he uses the weak to shame the strong and uses the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. The Lord, used, through death, he destroys the one who has the power of death. And in our weaknesses, the Lord can use us too. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he, has, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. So Jesus, in other words, made, this, made a satisfactory payment that God was satisfied with, as we see with the first fruits of Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection for the sins of the people. Jesus, the second Adam, he came forth and he conquered death, ironically enough, with death. Isn't that ironic? The Lord will use things like that. And that should encourage our hearts. So how does this happen? Well, the Lord himself will change us. Philippians 3, 20 to 21 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform us. Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. 
We are following in the footsteps of Jesus and his death, his resurrection, and, and the body that he now has. And that's a marvelous thing. Finally, we get on to the last portion. I'm not sure if I already read this little, this little um, scripture from the Old Testament. I'll read it again, maybe. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The law shows us that we're not making it. The law defines sin as sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through, Je through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So here's the application we leave off with. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't, as Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat and drink and wear, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things will be given to you as well. Those things are of the body. We're going to get glorified bodies. Treat the body as a temple of the Lord, but don't worry. You're going to get a new one, and it's going to be better. When we abound in the work of the Lord, what, what is bounding in the work of the Lord? A couple things to leave off with as we think about what that means. John 6, 28 to 29 says this. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. You believe in him whom he has sent. Huh, that doesn't sound too bad. That sounds very easy. Thank God he made it easy for us. We don't work our way for God's approval. The work of God here is to believe. What do we do from then? We abide. We abide in Christ. We believe on Christ. We receive Christ in us and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And then we abide. That is to be at home in Jesus. Live in a daily relationship with Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us. And that's where the striving comes in. There's a good striving. There's a bad striving. There's the, the bad striving is when you try to do enough good works to impress God and you hope that it's enough to impress him when reality says we're sinful humans, we're imperfect. When you try to work up your own goodness enough, that's the bad kind of striving. Trying to please God with, with good works in and of themselves, especially apart from him. The good kind of striving is when we run with perseverance. I mean, Hebrews says, run with perseverance, the race that's laid out to you, keeping your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. It doesn't say float down the lazy river on your pink flamingo float that you bought at Martin's in Maine on your family trip. Run with perseverance. Run, running's, running's work. Run with perseverance. And finally, Galatians 6, 9 to 10 says this, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Don't grow weary. And how do you not grow weary? Keep on abiding in Christ and consider the, the soon, the very soon reality of heaven. 
the psalmist wisely said, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And that's a good thing for us to pray too. It puts things in perspective. We can get so bent out of shape on this earth. But let's get things in perspective. These lives are short and we'll be in heaven. Let's, let's pour ourselves out with joy by abiding in Christ for his name's sake. And on that note, I'll say, while we have human bodies, our human bodies are fallible. And if anybody would, this, consider this an ongoing offer. And I know, I know people already do. I'll just formalize it a little bit more and say, always feel free to ask for prayer for your physical needs or your spiritual needs, uh, of course. But your physical needs, you have a bad knee, a bad elbow, a bad nose, a bad ear, whatever you have, you want us to lay hands and pray on you, we'll, we'll be more than happy to do that. I want to offer that today. But consider it just a, an, an, extended, an extended offer after the service um, or during our time of prayer, if, if, that, if that fits the time. Um, but we'll make time for it after the service too in our fellowship time even. I'll just put that out there. And we close on this in a word of prayer. Let's, let's join in a word of prayer. Um, blessed and holy Lord, we thank you for the glory of heaven that we have to look forward to. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. And the best part is that, that while we are with you now, we, as, as Paul said elsewhere, now we see in part, but then we shall see in full, as face to face, like a reflection. And we look forward to the day when we're physically with you, and, and we ask that you'd sp use that to spur us on, O oh Lord. Give us perspective. We get so caught up in our day-to-day -day lives sometimes. and It can be so discouraging and frustrating, and it can be very distracting. And we need help with that, Lord. We ask that you would encourage us with heaven, with this wonderful truth. And we pray that that would result in a more intimate relationship with you for all of us and, and a greater uh, fervency to spread your word to others. And, and um, anybody, feel free to just raise your hand if you need prayer just to get your mind on the heavenlies more and off, off the earthly lives. Lord, we lift these up to you and we ask that you would strengthen them and, and remind them of this and help them be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.